birthday cake for her, and you can have it as she leaves. Well, good morning, everybody. I just have to make a short announcement about my vanity. You know, I've confessed it to you many times. But I'm letting my hair go gray. So I just wanted to let you all know I'm sitting thinking, oh, Ron is aging so much. But my sister tells me that it's not gray, it's silver. So anyway, in a few months, I will look different. But that's what I'm going to do. Okay, so today, I, how many of you watch the Oscars? A lot of you. Okay, so, so think of today as a movie. <laughs> Up here, you have... I, I wish I could make special effects. I go. This is like a trailer. David, women, children, men, women, politics, murder, and politics. Okay, so this is our movie for today. And I personally hate politics. I don't know about you. Does anybody love it? I don't know. Anyway, my family, my husband's family, is related to a man named William Finley. And he was what they used to call a statesman in the late 1700s in Pennsylvania. And reading his memoirs and the political battles he fought, it's just like our news today. So nothing ever changes. And even though uh, David's stories happened a long time ago, they're very similar to what goes on today. Because God is always involved in messy politics. And we're going to see today how just messy it gets. In chapters, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 3 and 4, which we have today, we're going to have two political murders, Abner and Ishbosheth. In my young adulthood, President Kennedy was assassinated, then later his brother, and then Martin Luther King Jr. So there are still political assassinations and murders as in our era. And then also today we're going to have the stories about two women, Rizpa and Michael, and their messy stories also echo in our times because we have women who are used by men and are practically owned by them in the sex trafficking trade, which is happening even as we speak. So finally, then, in these two chapters today, we're going to have a tense relationship in David's own family between Joab, who is the son of his sister, Zeruiah, and David. So more intense, messy, political things going on, even in people who are in the same party. And of course, you know that Democrats don't get along with Democrats, and Republicans don't get along with Republicans. So this political tension, even in people who are working together, is alive and present today. So, it begins with the house of David and the house of Saul. So open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 3. It says, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. There were seven and a half years of tension. And many of the fighting men from the north, the northern tribes, came to David. And we know that because of what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 16. Other Benjamites, who were the Benjamites? They were Saul's family. They came from Judah, and, and some men from Judah came to David when he was in Ziklag. Remember when he was in Ziklag? 
and zikle and hebron are down here down here but they came from these tribes up here so david was down here and the northern tribes were up here and they said we are yours david we are with you son of jesse success success to those who help you for your god will help you these are men who knew that David had been anointed to be king, and they wanted to be with him. The, what was going on in the north was terrible. It was chaos. So then we have also in First Chronicles, men of Manasseh, that was another tribe, defected to David. And in verse 23, they defected to David and Hebron. Simeon, these are, these are not individuals, these are the tribe names. Simeon, Levi, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, Dan, Asher, Reuben, and Gad. These were men who are defecting to David and Hebron. And then finally, all these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron, fully determined to make David king over all Israel. And then we have, besides the messy politics, we have messy families, David, women, and children. So let's first look at verse 2. Sons were born to David in Hebron, and we are going to get to know three of them very well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Amnon, and it says, lists his mother there, and Kelia, whose mother was um, Abigail. Now, I think he's probably the only nice one, because we never hear from him again. But he might also have died. I don't know. Then Absalom and Adonijah, all these, those three are going to be real troublemakers. But apparently, um, these are just coming attractions that you can hear about in the next couple weeks. So, uh, when Tom, these are all from different wives. Um, some of you go to Tom Brewer's Bible class, and when he taught this section, he went on a 10-minute rant against polygamy and that God does not endorse polygamy. So you would think, no, our culture today would have nothing to do with polygamy. But my husband was teaching a woman over at Jubilee Reach who was from Eritrea. Her husband was a political refugee here. He brought her, she had two children. He went back to Eritrea, got another wife, and brought her back. In <laughs> oh, yes, she thought the same thing. But anyway, uh, so I talked to Charles Afori, who is, many of you know, he's in the choir, he's from Ghana, and he said, yes, it is now legal in Africa to have two wives down from multiple wives. So even in many cultures around the world, you can still have multiple wives. All right, uh, the next one is verse 6. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David um, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. So uh, we have read about Abner before, but I'm going to review who he was here again. So very quickly, he was Saul's uncle. He led successful military campaigns of Saul. He presented David to Saul. Now David when he killed Goliath, he's fresh from chopping off Goliath's head. He's got Goliath's head, dripping blood. This kid has just come. He's such a young man. And Abner goes and gets him and brings him to Saul. So Abner has known David from his youth. Then, 
Uh, he led, Abner led troops against David and was Saul's bodyguard. And this I taught a couple of weeks ago. This is when Saul takes 3,000 men. They're going out to get David. And David has his 400. And they all fall asleep. Remember in the desert? No. 3,000 men snoring. And David sneaks in, gets the water jug and the spear, sneaks out again, and then gets a safe distance and then calls, Hey, Abner, wake up. Aren't you supposed to be guarding the king? So then that they had that going for him. After the death of Saul, Abner places Ishbosheth on the throne, which we had last week. All tribes but Judah, he convinces them to take Ishbosheth. And then, remember last week, there was the ritual combat. Joab was going out after Abner, Abner, and they were sitting there, and they said, let's have a ritual combat. So 12 of Abner's men, 12 of Joab's men, they got together. They all died. And then Joab's men chase Abner, and they're going after him. And Joab's younger brother, Asahel, runs after Abner, and he keeps getting closer. And Abner keeps saying, don't come, don't, don't do this, don't do this. Three times he warns him not to do this. Asahel gets so close that Abner takes his butt of his spear and goes like this, and it goes right through Asahel's stomach, and he kills Asahel, Joab's brother. Insult and rage are going to lead Abner to defect to David. He held Ishbosheth in fear. So Abner was the true leader, but Ishbosheth was held, he was fearful of him. He makes peace with David, Israel, and the tribe of Benjamin. He is murdered by Joab in revenge for the death of Asahel and was lamented by David. And then I uncovered this little fact. Jeaziel, his son, will be appointed by David to be an officer over Benjamin when David becomes king. So this is what who Abner is, a very important, powerful, influential man. Let's get back to our scripture today. Verse 7. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah. And she gorgeous. <laughs> of course, Saul would only choose a beautiful woman to be his concubine. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? You see, the person who slept with the concubine got the crown. And this is going to introduce another terrible story. Rizpah will surface again in 2 Samuel 21. In these stories, she's a woman with a name, but no voice. But she is going to show later, this preview of coming attractions, that she's a woman of unflinching courage and loyal love. Today, she has her own Facebook page. Um, Monrovia, out of Monrovia, Liberia, there's a Daughters of Rispa Facebook page to encourage women to be involved in making the peace for their countries. So, Abner, Bishbosheth says to him, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? And Abner answers him, am I a dog's head that you accuse me of this? Thank you, Sharma. I thought it was a funny picture myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you, this very day, he says, I am loyal to the house of your father, Saul and to his family, and to his friends. I haven't handed you over to David yet. Now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. We don't know if he really did it. The text 
doesn't say. So we, we just have to read between the lines and say somehow somebody has been telling Ishbosheth either fake news or real news that anyway he hears about it and he gets himself into trouble. Now, what we have next is what is in screenwriting called a beat. Abner is furious with Ishbosheth and he's yelling at him. And then he stops, he takes a step back, and he changes everything. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him and on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel from Judah to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. So I want to show you Dan to Beersheba. Here's Dan up here, and here's Beersheba down here. So what he's saying, all of this is going to belong to the house of David. And so he sends a messenger to David on his behalf, and then the messenger says, this is, this is from Abner, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will bring all of Israel over to you. And what does David say? Good. Ah, come on, ladies. <laughs> Woo, let's, let's hear it. Woo, David, okay. Uh, says, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing. You will not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Here's another woman. She is a woman of no tears and no joy. She has a voice, though. She had resources. How did she use them? We're going to find out. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. It was actually 200, but who's counting? <laughs> this is all recorded in 1 Samuel 18. I, I think that Christina taught that, right, Christina? Yes, yes, yes. Can you imagine counting the four skins? One, two, three. So, I don't even want to think about cutting them off. <laughs> oh, dear me. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> so, so, um, so who was Michael? Well, on your table today, you have a, what, what color is this, Jody? Taupe? No, what? Lavender. Okay, okay. So, this is, on the, on the front here is a David timeline. Let's look at it carefully. When he was 18, he was promised to Mirab, Saul's oldest daughter. However, even though he did what Saul wanted, Saul gave her to somebody else. So at 19, he marries Michael. Michael's his first love. The, script, the scripture says that she loved him. Remember, her father was killing thousands, but David was killing ten thousands. He was like the newest, handsomest Seahawk on the team, scoring touchdowns all the time, and she loved him. And he must have loved her too to go out and get 200 Philistine foreskins. So this young love at age 19 was something to behold. But then 
Saul wanted to kill him, so she helped him escape out the window. He goes out, and then look down uh, under age 22. It says, um, well, he flees. Then he takes his parents to Moab for protection. At this point, she could have joined him. She was a woman of resources, but she didn't. Then, down in, when he's 24, Jonathan visits him. He could have taken her, but she didn't go. And then down in 25, Saul marries Michael to another man. She said yes. And it's after that that David marries Abigail, Nabal's widow, and takes other wives. So that's just something for, for your notes, and it's kind of fun to go through that and review it. So David says, bring her back. It's been 16 years. Maybe he thought, if I have my first wife back, we can have a child, and the next king of Israel will be from the house of Saul and the house of David. Maybe he thought, if I bring her back, they will see that she is safe with me and that they are safe with me. I think on a deeper level, David wants his first wife back, and he sees it also as a political move. And so they send for her, and she comes. So Mishmashet gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel. Thank you for laughing. I love this picture. Her husband, however, went weeping behind her all the way to Bahrain. Then Abner says to him, go back home. And so he went. <laughs> She's not crying. We don't hear from her. Okay. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now I stop here because this makes me mad. Abner knew that they wanted David to be their king, but he waited in his own time. He was trying to get the power from Saul. I don't know about you. Are you mad? I'm mad. I don't know. Just don't politics. I hate politics. Okay. Verse 18. Now do it, he says. For the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. You see, Abner knew that David was supposed to be king. They knew that Abner was supposed to be king. Saul knew it. Jonathan knew it. Abigail knew it. Uh, everyone knew that he was supposed to be king. All right. Abner spoke with the Benjamites, that Saul's tribe, in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 women with him, came to Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. I just love this. I, when I was doing Gilbert and Sullivan, Gondoliers was one of my favorite shows. And at the end of the first act, the, the visiting dignitaries come in, and they had a feast and a dance. And it's so much fun, and everybody's happy, and music's playing, and the food is coming in. And that's how I envision this feast that David has for these men, which I think are from all the tribes in Israel. Abner, with his Benjamites, and the other 20 men, every tribe represented, they must have been from every tribe. And he has this wonderful feast. And I imagine that David says, 
I'm going to bring my sons in, and he goes around and he introduces them to all the different leaders of all the different tribes. And I imagine there's lots of laughter, and maybe even David says, Oh, Abner, remember that time when we were all asleep and they were laughing about that? And then I imagine Abner saying, David, for old times' sake, like you used to do in Saul's palace, we would get the harp. And I imagine David coming and, and they're singing. And by now they all know his song, the 23rd Psalm. And I imagine them singing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And all those verses that mean so much to them. And then finally, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's so wonderful. It's so peaceful. And it says, David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then David's men uh, and Joab returned from the raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebrew because David had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. Then Joab and all the soldiers had arrived with him, and he uh, was told that Abner son of Ner, had come to the king, and the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace three times. In peace, peace, peace. David, such high hopes. No more bloodshed, no more vengeance. High hopes, peace. But there was no peace. So Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you were doing. In this movie, the tense Joab theme starts to pulse and pound, and you start squirming in your seat. Is it time to cover your eyes? Just about. I went to see Dunkirk and spent the whole movie like this. Anyway, Joab, don't do it, Joab. And Joab left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. I imagine Abner and all the men coming back. Oh, David wants us back. There's something more. Now Abner returned to Hebron, and Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately. He didn't want any of the others around him. He's inside the city. And to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, he stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, David hears about this, and he says, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or a leprosy or who leans on a crutch or falls by the sword who lacks food. Now, if you memorize that, you can say it when someone cuts you off on the freeway. <laughs> this is such a great curse. I had a friend when someone cut her off. She said, may 10,000 fleas infest your armpits. <laughs> Now that, I mean, a good curse is always good to have in your pocket. Job and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he killed their brother Asahel in the battle of Gideon. Then David said to Joab and all the people with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front 
of Abner, King David himself, walked behind the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron, Hebron, however you want to say it. And the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb, and all the people wept also. The king sang this lament to Abner, should Abner have died as the lawless died? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. Then they all came and urged David to eat because he was fasting. And he said, may God deal with me ever so severely if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. And all the people took note and this pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. All these men who had come down with Abner were so horrified by this, but they realized the king had nothing to do with it. And this comforted them. Even Joab and his men were compelled to mourn. And the king said to his men, do you realize the great commander who has fallen in Israel is today. And though I am king, I am weak. These sons of Zeruiah are too much for me. And may the Lord repay them according to their evil deeds. His two most trusted men, Joab and his brothers, were evil men. So when Ishbosheth, chapter 4, heard but at that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel became alarmed. This is because they're leaderless. They have no one. And then it says, Saul had two, uh, Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands, one named Baana and the other Rechab, and they, etc. So this is going to introduce another story. But first is this little parenthesis, because we had Saul, and then Ishbosheth was his son, were there any more survivors in the family of Saul? Yes, there was one. And his name is Mephibosheth. He was in a sermon a few weeks ago. And so we have this little parenthesis to introduce that there is still, technically, a descendant of Saul who could be king. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when his father was killed, and the news came of his death, and they were in Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and become, became disabled. So he was five when that happened, and he is 12 now, and he is not a threat to David. I love these pictures. I got these. It's like, it's like a 13th century comic book. Anyway, so one day, Ba'ana and Rakab headed out for the house of Ishbosheth. They arrived in the hottest time of day, just as he's taking his afternoon nap. They entered the house on a ruse, and uh, the maid guarding the bedroom was asleep, so here she is, asleep, and here are these two bad guys coming into the bedroom. And they go in and <laughs> they kill him. Cut off his head. I, I like the fact that he's still wearing his crown here when he's taking his nap. <laughs> so they travel all night long and they take the valley, uh, the Arapa Valley, okay. So now they present the king, David, Ishbosheth's head. Here he is, still with the crown on. Here's the head of Ishbosheth, Saul's son, your enemy. He was out to kill you. Is that true? No, fake news. Can't trust it. 
He was out to kill you, but God has given vengeance, my master, the king. Vengeance on this very undead and Saul and all his children. That includes Mephibosheth. That God is going to spare him. Good news. Uh, I've taken care of it. So David says, as surely as God lives. And I love this sentence. The one who got me out of every trouble I've ever been in. What a wonderful testimony. Let's say that about God sometime. He's gotten us out of every trouble we've ever been in. And David shows that in his songs. He got me out of all the trouble I've ever been in. When someone said any good news, Saul is dead. I had him put to death. And now you think, oh, and evidently, they must have been bragging that they snuck into the house and killed him in his sleep. So David says, uh, don't you think that evil men who kill an innocent man in cold blood, a man asleep in his own house, don't you think I'd find you guilty of murder and rid the country of you? And David issues orders to the soldiers that killed the two, chopped off their little baby hands here and their feet, and here's a little pile of them down here. Uh, and they hung the corpses at the pool in Hebron. But Ishbosheth's uh, head they took and buried in Abner's tomb in Hebron. I have a few more minutes left because. I want to talk about Hebron. Hebron is mentioned 11 times in this passage. For good reason. Hebron is a city of refuge. A city of refuge where if you killed someone accidentally, you could run to the city and there you would have a fair trial to stop this blood feud. That was the point of the city of refuge. There were six of them. God told Moses to set them up when Joshua went into the land on Moses' instructions. He set up the cities of refuge. David refers to them time and time again in the Psalms because as he's traveling all around that country, the cities of refuge, he's accused of things. Saul wants to kill him. He has no place to go. He can't even go to the cities of refuge, but he finds all the cities of refuge in his relationship to the Lord. Each name of the city of refuge has something wonderful to say about our relationship with the Lord. And I have them listed on the back of your head. You have David's timeline on the front and the cities of refuge on the back. And I'm going to go through them quickly. But I love Psalm 9, 9 and 10 in the message. God's a safe house, a city of refuge for the battered, a sanctuary during bad times. The moment you arrive... Relax. You're never sorry. You knocked. So let's quickly go through the cities of refuge. What are they? Well, the first one, well, here they, here's a picture of them. And they're always listed in the order that I'm going to give you. So it starts with Kadesh, goes down to Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. That's the way they're always listed. So the New Testament writer uh, in Hebrews picks this up in Psalm in Hebrews 6.18. We because of our sin, have fled for refuge. And we have fled for refuge to have strong encouragement, this is in the Lord, to seize the hope before us. All of us are guilty, but we can flee to Jesus for refuge because he paid the price. He took it on himself. All are welcomed in the city of refuges, the cities of refuge. Um, they were never locked. They were a place of provision. 
justice, protection for all races, not just the Jews. So let's look at what each name stands for. We have Kedesh, holy place. Revelation says that Jesus is our holy place, the holy and true. Jesus has the key in his hand and can open the door for you. Jesus is our holy city. Shechem, strong shoulder. Isaiah 53, 4 and following says, We like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He shouldered our sins. And Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will take it on my shoulders on the cross, and I will give you rest. And when you give your burden to me, I give you an easy yoke. Mine is easy. Mine will give you rest. Then we have what we talked about today, Hebron. Well, Hebron is friendship and fellowship. And John 15 goes on and on about when Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. And he says, I want them to know you, to know your joy, and I am calling them my friends. This is what Jesus has offered to them. And then we have Bezer, stronghold. Again, I pick up Psalm 18 that David wrote. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my Bezer, my stronghold. This is who Jesus is, and David knows him intimately. In verse 19, he brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. David knows how much his Lord loves him. And my prayer for each of you and my children and grandchildren is to know how much the Lord delights in you. And then finally we have, not finally, we have Ramoth, which means exaltation. In Psalm 23, which I also referenced also today, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is exaltation, living with God forever. And Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in ages to come we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are exalted in him. And finally, go on, joy. Again in Psalm 1846, David doesn't say, I had joy. No, he tells us what that looks like. He says, the Lord lives, exclamation point. Praise be to my rock, exclamation point. Exalted be God my Savior. It's David showing his joy in the Lord. And this is what that looks like. And when Jesus refers to joy in his Father, he always says, it's my joy, it's my Father's joy. Now, if you're not experiencing joy today, there was a time even when it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him. He knew it was coming. He might not always have felt it when he was going through what he suffered on the cross, but he knew it was coming. And ladies, if you're not in joy now, it's coming. It's promised. It's your future. 
Peter says in 1 Peter, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Jesus says in 17, 13 to his father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they, you and me, might have the full measure of my joy in them. Do you see these cities? Do you see how they circle around the people of God? And David takes it to a deeper level, saying, this is our position in God. All of these holy cities of refuge are surrounding you today. It's God calling to you, calling, come into my city. Come in, I have a place for you, and I delight in you. So let's run to him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have prepared for us. Since the foundation of the earth, you have been standing there with an open arms, an open city of hope, holy place, your strong shoulder, friendship, a place of safety, a place of exaltation with you, and with ultimate and forever joy. Amen.